welcome back once again to Live from Roswell. Must be October if Joe's playing the Monster Mash. You can expect to hear lots more fun and weird songs and even noises out of him all month long because it's the Paranormal Radio Network, so it's going to be a paranormal music month. i got a funny feeling. Okay, well, I am your host, Guy Malone, broadcasting to you live from sunny Roswell, New Mexico, where all your bases are belong to us. Tonight, my guest is Eve Lorgen, author of The Love Bite, Alien Interference in Human Love Relationships. And if you think that title sounds wacky, just wait till you meet the author here. No, I'm kidding. Eve, are you there with us right now? I'm here, but I'm not wacky. <laughs> you're not? Oh, no, well, you're fun. No, thinks I am, I suppose. You're in this field. It's hey, just you know, it happens. The territory. Yeah, you're an alien abduction researcher. You, you just get everything thrown at you, so uh, that, that's part of the deal. Yeah, your family loves you. Mine loves me, too. <laughs> Doesn't matter how wacky we get. <laughs> no. Now, you can sometimes be a little hard to track down, so thanks a lot just for being on the program oh, tonight. Well, thank you for having me. I know it's been a while since we've spoken, and um, I've written my book actually in the year 2000, but it's still going strong in terms of people reporting things to me having to do with alien abductions and, and related phenomena, uh, and the aliens are still messing with people's relationships. Yeah. yeah, as I was getting started, I want to make sure, because really I think we've mostly only communicated by email. We'll get into the whole relationship thing very soon, but i got to make sure I'm saying your last name correctly. Is it oh, it's Lorgan. With a G, not a, a J G. sound? Yes. Lorgan. I think I said the other way. Well, okay, that's worth clearing up since we've talked mostly by email for years, actually. Yeah. Hey, um, before I really get into the program with you, Eve, I want to mention to the listeners that if you're within the sound of my and Eve's voices, you are not alone. Our stats show that between 35 and 45,000 other people are regularly listening to this program with you. So if you've got a product or other thingamabob to advertise, you would like knowing that this is one highly targeted listening audience tuning into the Paranormal Radio Network. They are smart, they're into paranormal and political material. And they're rich, too. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes. Our unofficial polls actually show that the average listener to this program earns in excess of $12 million per year. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, so they could definitely, well, it's an unofficial poll. Well, the but they could, government's probably tuning in, right? <laughs> well, they're, they're the ones that are making all the money. <laughs> right. Well, they could definitely, with, we've got a new book or product, they could definitely afford to buy it. It might be a little exaggerated on that income level there. But the number of listeners is not exaggerated. Just like I'm doing now, I could be reading a script for your product 10 times for 30 seconds, starting at $250. That's just $25 per commercial. So you can write me at talk to me, T-A-L-K-T-O-M-E, at livefromroswell.com if you're ready to take advantage of that kind of marketing power. And uh, that reminds or something I was on the web this week. There, Eve, I saw an article... And I just wanted to know or ask you if you are a fan of the original series, Star Trek. Oh, yes. I, I watched it when I was a kid. I remember it clearly. Okay. I watched the archives when I was a kid or the syndication when I was a kid. Any, But um, did you know about the newer movie they're making now? I thought I heard something, but I didn't really pay attention. I don't know if there's, there's many Star Trek movies, but I didn't know about a new, a new one. Yes, Star Trek Eleven. Oh boy. is in the works right now. I'm just, you know, being a fun radio guy and letting people know the news and the rumors and the gossip. But there's an article at Pop Culture Buzz website 
the movie that's coming up, just in case you're hearing it here first, it's the original Enterprise crew, like Kirk, Spock, Bones, etc., etc., but with new actors, whole new actors. The plot of this movie takes place as the crew is first meeting each other and assembling, and before the first episode of the original series and the Enterprise's, quote, five-year mission really begins. I think it's scheduled to come out in 2008, and the casting is mostly done. But just because people, have, I think people are going to find it kind of interesting, I actually linked to the article on livefromroswell.com. Anybody who wants to check it out, go there and look over kind of on the right side of the page where there's a picture I've got posted of the new Lieutenant Uhura. And she's like, oh, my God, kind of sexy, by the way. So I think many viewers are going to want to take a look at both the pictures of the men and the women cast members on the new movie. But it does not feature William Shatner. Aww. But go up to lightfromroswell.com and you'll see the link to the article with all the cast members and their pictures right next to uh, Eve's glamour shot she's got up there. Well, that's good. Yeah, that, that is a, that's a newer promo photo for you finally. Yes, I finally got some new ones done. Yay. And also, if you're on LifeFromOzzle.com, I have a link up to your book on Amazon, as well oh, as great. your old site, too. Yeah, and I, I'm putting together a new website. It should be up in about a month with a many more new articles and interviews. And, um, yeah, I'm going to come out with a real blast as soon as everything comes out. So, That's prepared. really, I was going to ask you that a little later. What's, um, what's going to be new and exciting about EveLorgan.com that you thought you needed to build a whole new website? Oh, well, I'm... I'm going to put it up as a, well, as a counselor, hypnotherapist, and consultant and researcher um, for my services to consult and counsel and that kind of thing, but also will be information based on anomalous trauma, which is really my focus of my, my healing work and my research with mostly alien abductees, but also people who have been under mind control or cult abuse or spiritual warfare, anything that is related to the alien abduction syndrome because being in the field for almost 20 years now I've found that there's so much more involved that people report and that you know the alien abduction syndrome has been narrowly defined by some pretty long uh, for many years by mainstream researchers who are pretty popular and that has been narrowly defined for many years and that the truth is there's so much more involved that I believe there's a spiritual component of course we could talk about that at more depth that's involved in the alien abduction and the ET visitation syndrome. There's so much more involved, and also the mind control element. So uh, I'll have a lot more articles and people that I've interviewed on my, my new website, as well as I'm, I'm working on a, a new book, a sequel to The Love Bite, called Scavengers of Passion. So, you know, people... Scavengers of... Scavengers of Passion. Oh, that's a marketable title. <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact, I wrote an article for the JAR um, journal. It's Journal for Alien Encounter and Abduction Research, and I've recently had an article called Scavengers of Passion in the second um, issue of JAR, and it is online. I think it's, it's available online. You could probably Google it. I don't know that URL right off top, but... You know, that's, that's a newer article that's not even on my website yet. Oh, I'll find it during our first break and, and probably add a link to it for people, too. So you said it's been since the year 2000 when you published the first book, The Love Bite? Yeah. Are you rich yet? Oh, yeah, right. Okay. You know, no, no abduction researcher gets rich unless they're telling lies, probably. <laughs> <laughs> or, or they're funny. telling the alien agenda, you know. Usually we get harassed for it, and 
you're lucky if you could even make a living doing this kind of thing. So any researcher has to do something else for a living to supplement their, their true work. Basically, no doubt. That's how I find it. That's a recurring theme on this program. Somehow or other, we mentioned talking that yeah. a lot. It would be nice if we didn't get punished for telling the truth in this world, but apparently many of us are, <laughs> especially in this field. So, what we you know, I've had on, gosh, I don't know, Peter Robbins, Leah Haley, we all just sort of joke or mention, and Karen Dolan, everyone says, this. I mean, her husband, Richard's got probably the best-selling UFO book in the last five years. Oh. And they all, she, he works another job. Everybody does. Yeah. Uh, what are you doing? Uh, do you still work full-time? Uh, well, I'm, I'm actually working on opening up a private practice to do counseling and hypnotherapy for, you know, regular issues as well as anomalous trauma and doing writing on the side, also going to school to, you know, brush up some technical writing skills and that kind of thing. So I've got a lot on my plate right now. That's not a bad thing, though. No. I've had a I've had a, uh, a a post or a link to your bio or not a link to your bio, but I just copied your bio off one of the things that you sent me in the past. Um, what is actually I was wondering, just so people, if in case they've never heard of you, which is not likely in this crowd, but probably there's one or two out there, not keeping up with it. Um, you're actually um, you are certified clinical oh, yeah. therapist oh, yeah. and on a board of practitioners. I'm just going to let you uh, talk a little bit about uh, your actual background, training, education. Yeah, I mean, I'm, gosh, it's probably my second or third career now, but uh, originally I um, was a biochemist doing research, biochemistry with DNA hybridization and medical diagnostics and that kind of thing, and then went to school to get my master's in counseling psychology, and that was way back in the, gosh, early 90s. And, at that time, I got pregnant with my son and took time off to be a full-time mom, but at the same time, I was still working with many abductees and experiences of anomalous trauma and, and had done a support group in North San Diego County for many years. Now I'm in Temecula, it's still in Southern California, so, you know, did research for my book and worked on the radio and, um, gosh, and, you know, do hypnotherapy, so that, that's it. I mean, I've, I've, got, I've done a lot, and um, I used to be a scientist that changed changed my mind because I would rather work with people and, you know, know more about the human mind and the human soul and healing and that kind of thing. So, boy, yeah, life changes you. you. <laughs> yeah. Were you at all interested or into anything related to UFOs or aliens when you first, uh, like, did you launch into this as an adult or was it a well, case or someone you were talking to? Probably wasn't until the late 70s. I've always had an interest you know, along with family members, we did have an interest, and but I didn't, you know, you can't do that as a career, you know, so, but I've had an interest since the late 70s. I've been reading Bud Hopkins' books since ever since they came out, along with, gosh, a lot of the, the older ones, so I've been studying it for a long time. Was there, like, a particular case or patient, someone you were working with, that helped turn you into this field? Oh, let's see. Oh, well, you know who really inspired me? was the late Dr. Carla Turner. And I oh, her, I was uh, going to ask her, you about yeah, that. Yeah, one of her last lectures in San Diego, um, she, she inspired me a lot because she said things that really rang true to me um, based on what I was hearing from other people and, and some personal experiences. And so, as a matter of fact, I got together with some people locally and started a support group. Uh, it was around the time she died, actually, and I got in contact with Barbara Bartholik and worked with her as a mentor for many years. 
and learned so much more about what was really going on. And, um, and then at the time when I was doing my support group in the early 90s, there were several people in the group who were having what I call aliens messing with the relationships in what we call a love bite, where they were the aliens appeared to be setting these abductees up in certain relationships or breaking them up or manipulating it in, in some way. So there was that's what really motivated me to write my book and to, to explore this much more deeply and, and with Barbara Bartholik. So, uh, did, did you actually meet with or hang out with Dr. Carla Turner? You know, I only met her once when she was in San Diego, but my friend James Bartley had met with her before several times um, in different conferences and stuff. And, of course, Barbie and Candy were very, very close. And, you know, that's why I met Barbie, because I was so impressed with the work and wanted to learn more about it. And boy, did we learn. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll bet. We learned things that, that weren't so uh, popular at the time. I mean, the mainstream researchers at the time didn't even want to admit there was such things as reptilians, let alone how they were messing with your relationships and putting people together and doing all these things, you know. There seems to be a, a narrowly defined uh, definition of aliens and alien abductions, you know. Do you kind of come from the, the at least the era or background, I know just from some of the, the quotes on your website related to the old book, that, you know, you actually almost laughed earlier. You said mainstream abduction researchers as if it's a mainstream average everyday kind of well, thing. Well, it's not. No, you what gotta... I mean is that let's say that the very, the more famous people who've been involved in abduction mm -hmm. research have defined the phenomena to exclude uh, a lot of the reptilian reports and things that Barbara Bartholik and Dr. Carla Turner had talked about as if these things were taboo, especially the alien, you know, the manipulated relationship aspect and the more paranormal spiritual warfare elements were definitely marginalized or swept under the rug because, well, that's just not okay to talk about because it's not going to be credible. And, you know, and, and meanwhile, there's all this stuff going on and it's not being talked about because it's not okay. Someone is defining what's not okay to talk about in, you know, subtle ways by defining the phenomena to be something much less than what it really is. Or much you feel it was, defined. especially by the, by the 90s and the time right before you were writing your book, Yes. That it was very narrowly defined as Absolutely. just the gray, I mean, the grays, nuts and bolts science. Well, yeah, it was just you know alien grays and you know the fetuses in the containers and you know that's all they're doing and and oh it's, you know some very high level people and certain I won't say who had had told Barbara Bartholik years ago while they were both at a conference and hot with hostility telling her there's just no such thing as reptilians that's preposterous you know people oh. saying things like that because you know that's that's hot material. You know, they don't want that out. But there's a lot of things happening that people don't want to talk about, and that's what I talk about in my book. <laughs> well, I mean, that's hilarious in, in a sense when you said that there's these guys that are already known in the field. They're, everyone in their professional community has got to think they're nuts if we just pick names. Exactly. And, and like Bud really, Hopkins. It's a credibility Carpenter. issue. Let's face it. You know, people mock and ridicule you and call you crazy if you even talk about alien abductions. But if you talk about some of the more bizarre elements within that syndrome, I mean, you're really crazy. You're considered crazy as crazy. So. Yeah, I mean, you would think that just because they're already in the field, the, a phrase like that's preposterous couldn't, you know, a person who does alien abduction research almost for a living or has a book, I think they've disqualified themselves from ever using the phrase, that's preposterous in a sentence. <laughs> you would true. think. You know, 
anyway. It seems like more and more comes out. And what, what I've found is that as I've researched more in the spiritual realms and in many different religious uh, viewpoints and indigenous shamanic viewpoints, that when we understand what's happening and can see it through different viewpoints with the totality of what's happening instead of the narrowly defined extraterrestrial hypothesis, you can see the loopholes and you can see things for what they really are. And that's, that's my viewpoint anyway, that um, when you don't narrowly define it like someone else tells you to based on where their training or their lack of spiritual knowledge, um, you're not seeing the forest for the trees. And when you do open up your eyes and open up your spiritual eyes, then you could start really seeing the deceptions and what's going on. And that's, that's what are I you do. seeing? Like, well, I know you you sort of pick up where Dr. Turner left off. Yeah. What was um, just to give a background for people that might not even know uh, too much about her, or what she was doing, or famous or notorious for. Well, she wrote three books. And as a matter of fact, there is a website dedicated to Dr. Carla Turner's work. I believe it's called. CarlaTurner.org. That's it, yeah. And um, I think, I don't know if all her books are downloadable now, but they're very hard to get now. But she did have three books. And one of the books that was just a brilliant expose, which was um, Ted Rice's case and his story called Masquerade of Angels. And that was absolutely unbelievable in terms of the things that were discovered through hypnotic regression and investigation of his case um, that had a lot to do with reptilians, some military stuff. And the deceptions, and of course, a love bite was a major theme in, within his story. And I did interview Ted personally and, and extracted these love bite portion and other portions which I felt were important and put that in my book as well because I know that that particular book is very hard to get. I don't even know if you can get copies anymore. So I did reproduce a lot of that in my book on purpose because you know that work is hard to find now. But another thing Dr. Carla Turner wrote about was taken and it was a, I guess, case histories of several people who had the MyLab military abduction and alien abduction element coexisting, and what she showed as the connections between the two and how relevant those were. She talked a lot about the virtual reality scenarios and part of the mind control elements that are being used with the MyLab type of experience. And I've worked with a lot of MyLabs, and there's, there's quite a few of those elements in some of the people who've reported things to me in my book as well as in my support group. So I kind of took it off from there as well as opening up the element of spiritual warfare and also, of course, you know, how they're manipulating relationships, what's really going on, and how do they do that? And, you know, what are people becoming aware of? And as people start investigating their own histories with healing recovery methods or spiritual practice, then they're able to become much more aware of how the aliens are interacting with them at these subtle levels. And it's not just physical abduction. It can happen at much more subtle levels, like what we call astral programming or dream hacking and that kind of mm -hmm. thing. So there's um, so much more You used a lot of words in a sentence really quickly. That yeah, you, should I define them probably, Yeah, it's words that you use every day and that you forget that... <laughs> There's probably listeners thing, that are like, you know, what's a dream hacker? You know, what's spiritual warfare? And my lab. And, <laughs> my lab. Yeah. My lab is actually a term that's a contracted term that has to do with military abductions. But many of the people who use this term, at least in our circle of researchers, I use the term my lab as a person who's had not only alien abductions experiences, but also a military element 
in their experiences, whether it involves aliens at some point or doesn't involve them. So I, I my lab as a person or as an event, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like so, e- either this has happened to you, therefore that word applies. Yeah, and I just call them my lab reports because there's so many people who've had the classic alien abductions or alien intrusions, but somewhere in their experience, you know, they see these humans dressed in military uniforms doing these things, working in collusion with aliens, or sometimes all they see is the military people. But it's in a dreamlike, quasi-dreamlike uh, training scenario type of thing. So, um, and these things exist simultaneously. I'm seeing actually more of that with people who are also reporting elements of what I call occult abuse, ritual abuse, or mind control elements in their experience. So more and more is coming out, and I think more people are becoming aware of the connections between all of these things. Yeah, and you were mentioning that Carla Turner um, was very early early involved in pointing out things she definitely that didn't broke fit the, the traditional ice, model. And I, I believe she, she paid the price for that as well. You know, she, she died at age 48 cancer. Mm-hmm. So you, I know people have, there's there's conspiracy theories, like people that might say that that cancer, a very particularly nasty form of cancer, yes. was actually given to her, like somehow or other on purpose. There is an interview of Barbara Barthelick by a Belgian, either a French-Belgian researcher called Karma 2, and it's, it's actually on the Universal Seduction website, and it's an interview that was done by Barbie by another researcher, and she goes into detail of what actually happened to Candy before she came down with cancer and when she went to the doctor and certain medical conditions that she discovered after an abduction, which were very anomalous, and that's going to be up on my website when my new one comes up, that interview. But it's basically, you know, Barbie knew that this was no accident. These, these health conditions were, were no accident. And even, even the doctor that Candy had gone to with this anomalous thing, and it wasn't just cancer, it had something to do with uh, her liver as well. But um, you have to wait to see it on, on the interview on either my website or the Universal Seduction website. And so your are, newer website is going to be ebemorgan.com. Mm-hmm. And there will and probably be a link from my old one to my new one when the new one gets up and running. It's just there's so much material to add that it's taking longer than I thought. So have patience. There will be a lot of material on there. But Barbie rarely does public interviews, and she's pretty much stayed in the background for her own reasons. Um, I just think because of the nature of what she deals with, she really doesn't want to be out in the public too much doing interviews. But uh, oh, She doesn't want everyone she works with and in her family to think she's crazy, and she doesn't want to come down with terminal cancer. Yeah, I mean, there's certain you think things... That, could that be it? Yeah, really, <laughs> you know. <laughs> There comes a point where some people have to make a choice, you know, and uh, whether or not just to go too public or just to kind of keep things to yourself. And unfortunately, that I wish that didn't have to be true. I, I really wish that, you know, quote, in a perfect world that we could tell the truth about our experiences and that the more we can tell our truth, the more we can heal and recover from these things. And the less the isolation, the better off we are. So I think it's better that we talk about it, even if we take the risk of looking a little crazy, because, I mean, 20 years ago, there's people probably not saying things that people are saying now, and that those 20 years' worth of time of, you know, people getting out there and talking about experiences has been worth it, I think. Right. Because, you know, people are learning. I mean, there's young people today that I'm so amazed that they, they know things, and they've done their homework, and, you know, they don't have to go through 
reinventing the wheel like we had to do 20, 30 years ago just to get information. And we'll pick up some of those. We c- we're coming up on a break here in a second. Okay. And um, actually, someone, I've got a comment or a question for you uh, from our virtual auditorium. I do want to remind people, email me at talktome at livefromroswell.com because Eve is going to say something that you'll either heartily agree with or it's just going to make you mad. Mm-hmm. Or you just might be interested in asking her a really polite, continual question. Uh, so we do, we do go to a break here in about one minute. And before we do that, I just remind people that this program you're listening to is sponsored by AlienResistance.org. Right now, all my communications needs to make you be able to hear my voice are sponsored by that AlienResistance.org, providing biblical perspectives on UFOs and abductions, as well as conference DVDs from all those conferences we've recorded here in the last several years in sunny Roswell, New Mexico. I did not provide Joe with a... Uh, MySpace Artist of the Week this weekend, so I, unless he's just rerunning the last thing I did last week, we're going to let him take us out with some music for about oh, four, five, six-minute break. I don't remember. And we'll be back very shortly with a couple of questions for Eve Lorgan. Thanks for tuning in to Live from Roswell. We'll be back shortly.
back in 20 seconds, Eve. Okay. Welcome back. I am Guy Malone. You're listening to Live from Roswell. Livefromroswell.com is our website where I have a link up to our guest today, Eve Morgan. Also have a link to her book, which is Alien Love by or The Love by Alien Interference in Human Love Relationships. Or is it in human relationships? It's one of those. Oh, it's I'm called not... the Love Bite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, the link's the link's all there. You can either buy it on Amazon, go straight through Eve's site. I'm sure there's ways to buy it there too. Uh, for anybody that was wondering, that music was Chris Putnam, who is, once again, my MySpace Featured Artist of the Week. You can listen to other music he has, and he's also the author or the uh, the person behind the uh, Live from Roswell thing you just heard. But on LiveFromRoswell.com, under the picture of the new Lieutenant Uhura, there's a picture of Chris, who's not quite as kind on the eyes. But it's a link to his uh, MySpace page where you can download and listen to, like, four of his songs that he's created. We had uh, earlier, Eve was beginning to talk about um, some of her background involved uh, hearing and interacting with, following up on Dr. Carla Turner's work, who you were right about that URL, by the way. You can download all three of her books now at carlaturner.org. One of the early people in alien abduction research that didn't quite fit the mold or the bill, uh, you might say, because she took people a little bit outside of the standard gray alien scenario of just, you know, scientific nuts and bolts ufology, and uh, started opening up a can of worms with spirituality and thinking, and as well as that there were other things, like you were saying, reptilian. In fact, that's kind of one of the things I contacted you about years ago. Oh, was okay. either doing a talk on reptilians or something like I'm that here sure in Roswell. I'm not sure if you ever did do that talk. I no, you've never been here with it, us. Something has always happened, and I couldn't make it, or it was a conflict in schedule or something. But, I, you know, I've learned more about the reptilians since since doing my book and, and of course, corresponding with Barbara Barthlick, and, and then many more people who've had reptilian experiences have contacted me. One of the, the more recent people uh, who contacted me is... I mail my lab where where he remembers military training and experience, along with aliens, alien abductions, and specifically reptilians. And this is the, his his interview is on my website now. It's Zed interview with Zed, who was under reptilian mind controlled in a my lab project, and it was pretty pretty much of an expose because he recognized that his programming that was used in a military way was reptilian in nature. In other words, the reptilian programming superseded the military programming and their goals, and that it was, actually it's not a good thing, and that it's higher on the hierarchy in terms of power, who's in control, which suggests that the alien reptilian element is, is higher on command in terms of the power and control, at least from his experience. That, that you might want to check out on my website. And, and this, this guy learned a lot about the spiritual warfare element and had and struggled for years uh, doing a number of you know, self-recovery and healing methods, including advanced meditation skills along with prayer, and he had a deliverance exorcism of sorts to rid him of some of the demonic strongholds. And he was dealing with some pretty powerful draconian reptilian beings 
but he remembered one of his projects. I don't know why I'm starting off on this. You probably had another question, but oh no, that's a just tough segue that because the reptilian you, element is something that I believe is very important because it is the the power and control uh, hierarchy that I believe that the Greys or a large number of the Greys work under and work through. It's just that the for some reason the they're not people are not seeing it for what it is unless you really delve deeply into the experiences into you know what people are, are seeing in their experiences but give uh, a quick working say I'm that sorry again. give a quick working definition of reptilian well there's probably several different species of very highly intelligent lizard-like reptoid beings who some of them are reported to be like a fourth dimensional entity that's not quote real physical and then there's others that are reported are very physical just like you and me who may live underground and in underground bases and that kind of thing and there's several different types that are reported like one person i know who, who's had interactions she she says the most of the ones that people report are the merchant reptilians and that's what she calls them they're a type of warrior caste reptilian and but there's other types that are higher on the hierarchy like the dragon beings and the the cloaked ones with the headdresses and, you know, the, there's different types. So So when you mention fourth dimensional, you're not really sure. Would you define, like, their origin being earthly or outer space uh, or I other? <laughs> I think they're more earthly than anything else. Um, one of the people who I recently interviewed claimed that when he saw aliens, um, boy, it's, it's really complex, but he just claimed that when he did see them, working in collusion with al with humans in his experiences that the, the aliens were fourth dimensional and they would like appear and disappear kind of thing. And they were still present in the room but they didn't have the same physical density that the humans in the room did. And that was, that's actually one report where he believes that they were the fourth dimensional type that were involved in rituals, for example. So We actually have someone online with a question for us. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna let Joe cue up what, what that means. We use a virtual auditorium through Pal Talk. You can listen to this program over Pal Talk if you download their player and the uh, program. Our voices will actually come to you over your speakers, but you can also interact with about 30 other people who are listening to the program right now. And um, Joe, I'm just uh, killing time, letting you know we do have a hand up in the virtual auditorium for Goodman 281. Let's see if Joe's right there manning the station, <laughs> and he'll put him on. You'll hear a uh, it'll go dead air for about five seconds. Let's get a question from Mr. Goodman 281. I'm beginning to wonder if Joe's using the bathroom right now. <laughs> Good timing. All right, Joe, send me. You just send me a note when you're ready to <laughs> when you're ready to bring him back on. But we do have a question. Oh, there he is. Wait a minute. Okay, I'm here. Joe, go ahead and put on the good man. Sorry, listeners. I don't know if this is working out or not. Unfortunately. Let me see what Joe has to say about that. Oh, it says he won't take the mic. Come on, good man. Put your hand down or say something. Cat's got your tongue, huh? 
All right, well, we'll see if he comes back. And gosh, do you remember what you were saying there a second ago, Eve? Well, I was talking about um, a reptilian-controlled my lab who was under reptilian programming within a military project that actually they did some training what he believed to be on the dark side of the moon. He had some memories with other boys being trained for, for super soldier types of things and, you know, for their abilities and that kind of thing. But he broke the programming. Actually, the, somehow the military broke away from that particular one and it was just reptilian. But he was able to identify the difference between the classic military programming, the trauma-based mind control types, as opposed to the reptilian programming. And, and the reptilian programming was much more subtle and spiritual or demonic in nature, and that it was difficult, more difficult to uh, to dismantle, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And you said a difference between the two. You, you said earlier that you believed that a lot of, maybe not all, it's a blanket statement, but that a lot of what we call greys are actually working under yes. the reptilian yes. agenda kind of thing, what? I think so. Uh, or they, they're an offshoot, but, but I believe that the core essence of what they're doing with at least the malevolent species who are intrusive, and let's say they're putting people together and creating these unfulfilling relationships, and, and there's a whole syndrome that I describe in my book and on articles in my website about how you can tell if you've had some kind of relationship that's a love bite that's been manipulated. But the bottom line, I believe, is that these beings feed off human emotional and sexual energy and that their modus operandi is to create high drama in our lives so that they could feed off that energy because maybe for some reason they don't have access to that type of primal creative energy in their own life form. And indeed, I believe there's different scriptures, ancient scriptures that are in the Nag Hammadi library, for example. And actually, I found them in other writings, such as ancient Indian uh, types of shamanic literature, that there's beings who exist in the underworld and interdimensional realms that will deliberately feel your awareness and your energy because that's what they do and it's how they take power from you and they that's how they steal power from you so your your awareness and your energy is very very important to you so if you're distracted from that you know your energy can be siphoned and stolen from you and it's, it's part of the modus operandi i believe of many of the aliens who, who especially get you involved in a lot of high drama and distraction oh i've got lots of high drama in my life does that qualify me well, it depends if, if it's an alien involvement kind of thing. And there's, there's certain ways that you can tell, you know, in a, in a love bite kind of situation, for example. It doesn't even have to be that. It could be just a lot of high drama. For example, in, this is what I've discovered, that the more the chaos in someone's life or the more negative energy, let's say that if they're even from a dysfunctional family there was, where there was a lot of addictions or abuse, and that if you grew up in a family where there was a lot of discord, and unhealed traumas, then that can leave an open window open for a type of alien intrusion or attached entities. And so the more the chaos, the more the unhealed traumas, then the more vulnerable someone can be to, let's say, alien abductions and alien intrusion. And so when you start closing those doorways and, and healing and you know having a purity of intent and doing whatever practices which strengthen and empower you, those doorways will be shut down so that aliens have less access. So what I've found in, in not only my life, but other people's lives that I was working with, 
said, the less they, the less trauma in their lives, the less alien intrusion. But the more trauma or the more discord in their lives, then that would increase and escalate the alien encounters. Or the alien encounters would increase when they were going to what I call a manipulated love relationship. That that would increase. Those encounters would increase. So it almost sounds like you're describing when you said they feed off the energy, yes. the drama, the trauma. Mm-hmm. I mean, for to put it very mildly or just a loose phrase, it almost sounds like you're describing a sort of psychic vampirism. Yes, well, it is a type of vampirism. I believe it is, and um, that's why I think, I don't know, maybe they want to distract our attention, put our attention on their extraterrestrials as opposed to what some of these ancient scriptures have reported that these beings are. I mean, they definitely can have a physical component and interact with us physically. You know, they take fetuses. I mean, that's, that's known, that's proven. But they also will feed off of energy to empower themselves to become more and more powerful. So sorcerers can do this, too. So there's, there's a type of black magic involved, I believe, in their operations. What did you find is... Um you said you found this in some ancient Indian and Nagamandi, yeah. just some references. Well, for example, I know you've got it written yeah. down. Is there anything off the top of your head, what uh, well, worthy? Off the top of my head, in, in my recent article, Scavengers of Passion, and also a interview that I'm going to put up, I've done some reading by the scholar John Lash, who is a Gnostic scholar, and he's done a lot of research on the Nagamandi uh, tractates, as well as many, many other Gnostic and other biblical and non-biblical things about the existence of what he calls archons and archontic beings who have been involved in our history for millennia or at least for thousands of years who've been described and so i I put a link on well let's see if i can find it john lash has a uh, website called metahistory.org and he has some articles about archons one in particular was aliens and the kundalini life force something like that i have it on an article but he describes these beings here it is it's called uh, kundalini and the alien force is the name of the article that john lash talks about what we call the archons and i believe that archons is another name for what i call the draconian hierarchy and the reptilian draconian hierarchy and what these beings really do and how they interfere and manipulate our belief systems, our religions, and how they can, you know, manipulate people to give our power, surrender our power over to them. And our power is our energy. It's our awareness, and a lot of times it is our sexual energy, our primal, we call the primal creative energy. That's what we call it. And this kind of thing has been going on for thousands of years. You can make the connections when you see what's going on in contemporary alien abduction reports and what's been reported in some of these ancient scriptures. But one of the more telling things that I've, I've found recently was from a book written by a East Indian um, healer, a shaman, shaman healer from a matrilineal lineage, where he describes these beings through his mentor who taught him about these things through his teachings. Um, there's a name for it in Sanskrit. It's, it's Baikari Odia and it's a type of being that is in the underworld that can manifest and do different things and can steal awareness. And he even talked about how these beings would, like the dark, the dark sorcerer types, would steal fetuses from women, usually between 
one and two months gestation, which is basically what the aliens are doing, and that's what they really do with these fetuses in the life force, because there's something spiritual that happens, something very energetic and spiritual that happens during pregnancy and conception when you have fetuses and babies, but it, it's a powerful thing. It's basically, it takes power from the being, and they can take that power for themselves to make them stronger, um, like magical power, and it increases their own awareness. So there's something to this, and this has been an ancient, you know, thing that had been gone on through lineages, where they, they tell their shamanic practitioners and their trainees about what really happened, so that they can be aware of these kinds of things when they're doing their healings, to be aware that there's beings and entities who do things like this, the vampiristic ones. And it's really the same as what a lot of these aliens are doing. Did you suggest um, when you said that the aliens or that the fetuses are taken? I was curious. Is this more in context of the draconian vampirism you're describing? Like, there's no real use, perhaps, for the fetuses other than just the high drama and emotion that creates in the woman involved? And that, no, that might no, be they, the goal? They, they take the fetuses physically. No, there is a, they need to take the fetuses. They take it physically. And the woman ends up, you know, with no baby, you know? <laughs> mm, but is so. the purpose of that they really need the fetus, or is the purpose of it to create such emotional trauma that they can feed off from the woman? Oh, well, they can do both, actually. But okay. just like certain black magicians, for example, will use blood in rituals because blood contains the prana life force, then they use the blood deliberately because of the energy extracted through the blood, through these rituals. So by the same token, they can take fetuses and, and do the same kinds of things. But there's a way, I think, to directly tap into emotional energy and sexual energy if the aliens have access. And one of these access points, I believe, that could be responsible for how, let's say, how do they do this? How do they create the interface between our physical world and our energetic world with their energetic, because I don't think they're always physical beings. I think they're interdimensional and that they feed off this higher energy force interdimensionally. That they might they might be done through chakra energy points or etheric implants. I've heard people report that, that as long as there was an implant in their body of a particular nature, that, that was how they accessed the energy, or how they shunted the energy. So that's some of the theories anyway. That's a long list of theories, actually. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> that's I mean, a lot report, you know. get into. I found that article just um, during the break. We're been that you said scavengers of passion. I do have it listed okay. now. Okay. Um, under right under, if you're on livefromroswell.com, the photo of Eve that is posted there, it says new article scavengers of passion. You can actually link into it. Oh, great! And I yeah. might actually try to read some of this over the break. Yeah, because I, I talk people... a lot about the John Lash material because he just wrote his book. I got it's 2006 and it's relatively new. And I know that he personally interviewed people that I know who've had draconian reptilian experiences and that it basically jives with what he learned in his research and that this archontic manipulation is the same as the draconian reptilian manipulation with what they do and basically it's a high form of spiritual warfare where they're able to manipulate our beliefs really it a lot it has a lot to do with how we believe who we are and what we really are and if these beings can manipulate our belief systems and even our religion in a way to disempower us, then they can hack in to our power. And our power is in our own divinity, it's in our own soul. So it's like they hack in 
to getting us to surrender over ourselves to them in some way or to give our give them permission but it's always through deception and manipulation you know make no mistake this is about major deception what type of deception what uh, are they lying about spiritual deception is one of the main modus operandi of what we call the archons in, in the Gnostic literature and it's really to make us believe false things about our own nature or our own divine nature to disempower us so that we don't use what we really have inside of us to make ourselves strong and resilient to what these hackers do. I call them hackers because they, they do. They can hack into your dreams. They, they can do many different kinds of things. And they can even host individuals. And you've heard of like demonic possession, for example. That's, that's a more extreme case. But people who have what I call attached entities or who can be hosted by certain kinds of draconians or reptilian beings. And this has been reported, and there's, there's clairvoyant people who can perceive these things. And I've had many reports of, of that. So I believe that there's something to what the ancient Gnostic people knew about the archons, and I believe it's the same thing, except that today in contemporary society, it's under the, the window dressing of extraterrestrials. Whether that's really the case or not, you mean? Yeah, you say I mean, window large part of it, I think, is deception. I'm not saying 100%, but a large part of it, I think, could be explained through these self-same types of behaviors. But the but people who really know would be the ones who are, like, healers who are very clairvoyant or uh, indigenous shamans who are, you know, working for the light or with you know, clairvoyant healer type people or deliverance people, people who've done healings and exorcisms can perceive, you know, how these beings interact and create conflict, you know, with people. That's pretty interesting. So you're you're obviously drawing from a, a vast array of spiritual sources and oh, yes. texts here, here, obviously. So you're not really opposing or affirming when someone uses, if someone uses the phrase demon to describe a reptilian or if they use the phrase extraterrestrial or archon or interplanet dweller. Is it more or less all the same to you? Is that what you're saying? Well, I don't, I don't know if it's all the same. It really depends on what the person perceives. I think what's important is what are the behaviors associated with these beings and what is the effect on that person? Yeah. <laughs> because these beings can shapeshift and do it all the time. And they're, you know, the aliens are really good at that, especially reptilians. I and mean, they could make you see that, you know, your dream lover, you know, and it's really not that dream lover. It's a reptilian. <laughs> yeah. So they can do that, too. Unfortunately. That, that's, yeah. Um, would you... Just since you're mentioning shape-shifting and reptilians, we're like a minute away from our break right now. But do you subscribe to the theory, then, that there's possible reptilians in high places of politics or banking? I believe that there's the, that influence is present in humans and also can host humans. And there may be people who are so influenced, have given over their power to them through uh, membership in certain organizations or cults that they literally become hosted by these beings and, and do take over. That this has been reported. And it's not just David Icke stuff. I mean, this is not new. This is stuff that's been reported for a long time. You know? Interesting. All right. We'll be back after a break here with Eve Morgan. Email me, talk to me at livefromroswell.com if you want to pose a question.
Joe's going to take us out with a little music here. Welcome back to Live from Roswell with Guy Malone here in sunny Roswell, New Mexico, where all your bases are belong to us. We're listening to LiveFromRoswell.com. Our guest tonight tonight is Eve Lorgan, who's the author of The Love Bite, Alien Interference in Human Love Relationships. And I'm actually going to get her to actually define the love bite here for us in just a couple minutes. I do want to remind listeners... Uh, you can email me at talk to me at livefromroswell.com if you'd like to pose a question to Eve. would love it when you give you at least your first name and the city you're writing in from. Eve, I was scrolling through our virtual auditorium to see if people were uh, really highly discussing what was being talked about tonight. And they're kind of uh, talking about social anxiety disorders and how they all have them and would they actually bounce someone for just being a jerk, I think. So they're, I think people are more listening to you, but they're not so much uh, jumping in to interact right now. So do that, folks. Quit doing that laundry. Quit folding your clothes. Quit turning your mattresses over. Email me at talk to me at livefromroswell.com with a question or comment for Eve and what's going on here. But um, I wanted, to, very early on, just going from the actual uh, quote or description on your book, okay. um, the description of your book, it says, your, your research has been showing, this isn't the quote yet, that there's often um, alien, quote or not, interference in human love relationships. That's the subtitle. And the quote I'm looking at here is, these alien orchestrated love bites often took the form of overwhelming love obsessions with an alien chosen targeted partner, another abductee. To me, that's a very loaded sentence. Why don't you start off a little bit um, this hour and just define this love bite phenomenon for us a bit and then tell us what you've got going on in the book and research. Okay. Well, I, in the book I defined, you know, what some of the, the symptoms were. If, if you think that you've had an alien, you know, love bite or, or a relationship that's been set up, and usually I say that it's most often done on, quote, alien abductees, experiencers who've had multiple alien visitations in their life or in their family histories and that's one of the things or multiple UFO sightings or after a sighting or an encounter missing time they suddenly have an obsession with someone oftentimes they don't really remember what happens uh, other than maybe seeing a person's face in their mind or having a dream about a certain person that they just feel like 
they, they have to get to know them, they have to find this person, and, and then they find out this person is really real, or they meet them the next day or within the next week, and they, they have this love obsession with someone. It may set off, you know, deja vu memories of having felt like they've met this person before. Well, if, if they've investigated their, their case, or if they're lucky enough to remember, they may find that earlier on, maybe months before, or even in their childhood, they may have been set up with this person in an earlier alien abduction type of situation where they were actually bonded to this person previously, and that's why they have such a strong connection with them later in life when they meet them, and that may set off an obsession. But what, what's unusual about the obsession itself is that it, it sets off a lot of, uh, of course, emotional highs and lows, but there's a lot of paranormal features that happen when you are set up with someone. And you'll know it when you have it because it's, it's not really like a normal, quote, love affair. I mean, these things are unusual. For example, sometimes people report they, they can spontaneously remote view that other, the targeted person. Oh, wow. They were never able to do that before. Or, or suddenly they can see auras where they never saw them before or their paranormal abilities are just go through. Forbidden history, grisly ghosts, monstrous cryptids, and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Avey. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com. Sometimes people report, oh, this is really strange. It's like they feel like they have astral visitations with this person or they'll have dreams where they're with this person and it feels really real. I mean, it's not just like a dream. It's like, my God, I think this is really happening, you know? Um, reporting things like that or bizarre synchronicities regarding the, the targeted partner can happen repeatedly in such a way as to maximize the need to be with that person. It fuels the obsession. Um, like a song on the radio will suddenly remind them of that person um, or the you know license plate on the car in front of you is, is exactly what you saw, you know, related to this person. I mean, things will, will keep happening that that seems signal to the person. Oh my God, this must be divinely arranged. This must be my future wife or husband. You know, it just has to be divinely arranged because this has never happened to me before. And of course, they they have joint, uh, mutually shared dreams of being together. And of course, it could be a, a mutual thing where they both have just a very very powerful attraction or maybe one person remembers the aliens involved with setting them up, like in the Ted Rice case, I explain that in my book, and some other cases in my book where you know, the abductee does remember you know, having this, this other abductee present during the alien setup kind of thing, and maybe the other person was tranced out or they, didn't, they weren't really aware, and then they may remember later, they, they start having deja vu memories and feeling like this familiarity and stuff. So a lot of times I think it's done under mind control or it's done in an interdimensional, maybe even an astral realm where you're meeting with this other person under the alien guidance to, to connect with this person. So I think there's an energetic connection that happens before you even meet the person. That's why it's such a strong attraction. 
So what would be the aliens or the manipulator's purpose in doing this to two people? Uh, well, on one, one haptic, he was told that the energy ex- exu- exuded by the people in a love connection was a delicacy to the aliens. And that's something, actually, I reported on the Scavengers of Passion article. A woman had a, an abduction with what she calls tall white aliens. They're kind of like alien graves, except they're much bigger and taller, and they're white. And that this particular race of beings put her together with another man, and they they consciously allowed her to be aware of the experience and told her why they put them together. That this was an energy exuded that was a delicacy for them, and that um, they also told her something that I thought was interesting: that they can't always put two people together and, and have it work. That one of the things that made these connections work better was if these people had a previous uh, past life connection and that uh, it was, I guess, that the aliens or even maybe clairvoyants can see this through their perception of energy fields that if someone has like a previous what we call karmic connection with someone else that the energy exuded can be seen clairvoyantly as, as like energy tendrils kind of connecting and swirling around another person. So when that relationship exists that it's, it's a much more powerful love love bite and then they just facilitate that connection and make it more powerful because i'm going to ask you a question about yeah. that in a second right now we have sammy uh with a hand up in our virtual auditorium let's see if joe's ready uh to go ahead and put him on sammy has a hand up in the auditorium whether it's joe or linda monitoring that go ahead and put him on just isn't working out for us tonight. Sammy, keep hanging on in case it's on Joe's end. What I want to ask you is, when you were saying that the love bite is a delicacy, often when they arrange these relationships? Yes, the energy associated with it is considered a delicacy to the aliens and that they they feed off of it. And that's why they, they do this. Because, you know, the thing is, you would think that, well, if they're putting people together, which they do, that the aliens would be doing it so they can get hybrid offspring, right? But well, yeah, that's kind of that's what I was going to ask the, you about. one of the logical reasons, and, and sometimes it happens, but more often than not, that's not that's not the motivation. The motivation is, I mean, people don't always have children, you know, from these liaisons. So it, there's another reason behind it, and I believe it's because of the energy exuded. And, and this actually has been, I would say, corroborated by some what I call my lab testimonies as to you know, what, what's another reason behind this? Like, I talk about what is the reason, you know, let's say why aliens would do this. Well, they want to put two people together because of the hybrid offspring if the people have children, or they may want to feed off the emotional and sexual energies of the drama, which I think is more, more likely, or um, the aliens, or let's say others who know how to manipulate this type of technology or magic may do this to disrupt, let's say, a researcher or a person who's getting too close to the truth, and so it, they may create um, a relationship problem that derails them from their research or from, let's say, their healing or their deprogramming or from whistleblowers who want to put something out and all of a sudden they get hit over the head with a love fight and this person just totally derails them because it's just such a horrible drama, <laughs> you know, mm. like, a, like a Romeo agent type of thing. That, that yeah, happens. I read that on your thing. Yeah. Sammy's ready to go now, actually, okay. with, with a question. Sammy, you go ahead and uh, ask your question for Eve. Tell us where you're calling from also.
Sometimes it takes about 10 seconds for the connection to go through, and I'm not sure if Sammy's still there or not now. Have to walk back and check something over here. Okay, guess not is what Joe's saying. This is not working out at all. Well, sorry no, about that, folks. Not surprising, huh? I mean, sometimes yeah, folks, I'm sorry for the dead air. Though. Yeah, we do everything we can to encourage people to call in or to take the or microphone to respond to. Have questions. Yeah, Sammy, you can email me at talk to me at livefromroswell.com. You don't really have to take the mic. I'll just pose the question or comment you had for. But the curious question I had. Um, when you're saying that they feed off the energy of the two people they put together, is that any more or less or better than just two people who just meet in a bar or on the street or just normally that they I, could just hang around? You know, I, have, I have reason to believe that they are able to tap into this energy more readily than, let's say, a person who's not an abductee. Although I do think that um, some of the negative chaos that they're still able to feed off of um, in some way, but I think with abductees there must be a way that they can feed off it more directly or that certain abductees, now i found that there, there's certain ones that they tend to set up more than others or, or certain females in particular where they, they must just have a certain energetic signature that is, it's like they're a specimen that they just like more than other people, like a certain brand that they may like better that yeah. maybe their signature or their energy is, is better than let's say another person. And like some people like redheads or blondes, yeah, some people yeah. like blue blue auras uh -huh. or, or, or some reptiloids. Yeah, I mean they, they have their their desires for certain bloodlines. I think there's certain traits and bloodlines of abductees, especially in my lab. I, I find that really interesting. That one of the reasons I was going to talk about further, let's say, what are some of the motivations behind putting people together that I've observed that I could deduct from what I'm observing here, and one of them with my labs, and my labs again are people, alien abductees, genuine alien abductees who also had some military element in their experiences where they are sheep dipped into some kind of black op program because of their, what I call their latent paraphysical abilities, because of their genetics or their conditioning from having been alien abductees, somehow they are sheep dipped into other programs where they are also trained um, to, to do certain things like active secret agents, for example, or to do things with their paranormal abilities such as remote viewing for the military. And one of the ways to amplify these paranormal abilities is through the arousal of their sexual energies and their kundalini in particular uh, prior to being sent off on what I call a mind-controlled op. And more often than not, there's been abductees who, let's say, They'll have a reptilian encounter where there's a sexual element involved, where their kundalini is activated, they, they become aroused, and sometimes they will use imagery to make the person believe that they're having sex with, you know, their favorite fantasy person, but in reality it's, it's an alien manipulation kind of thing, or a reptilian. And then on the tail end of that encounter, the military comes and takes them and accesses them and then uses them out on remote viewing off. Because their paranormal abilities and their energy has been amplified through the previous, you know, arousal of their kundalini and sexual energy. So there's there's a connection there. And what if you knew two people that were uh, in the UFO research field in general that say 
just met at a UFO conference. Oh, that <laughs> Would you advise them oh, not to get a lot. together? I mean, I've had someone report, actually, I won't say the name, but another researcher had met someone at a UFO conference, and they definitely had a love bite type of experience as well as a major UFO sighting while at a conference in, in the mid in the Southwest, and that there was a love bite relationship with the correspondent emotional highs and lows and the abnormal behaviors and the sudden switching off of unplugging of the other partner, the whole nine yards, which I didn't even really get to describe. But this, this happens a lot in the UFO community because very often people interested are really abductees or people who've had experiences. Maybe they're not fully aware of it, but they can be used in these things. And I sometimes wonder if it opens them up to have more experiences by being more involved in the research at some level. Because mm-hmm. I, I think that there's some researchers who didn't have alien encounters or the other anomalous things that will happen to researchers until after they've been in the field for a while working with people. And, and I have experienced having worked with people more activity during the time that I'm working with people. And it's not, quote, my aliens, it's their aliens coming to, to do whatever they want to do to offset, you know, the relationship or to, you know, whatever. But there's more activity the more people you're involved with who are also having alien activity. <laughs> So, so it's possible odd. that, yeah. is it possible then you're saying that people who go to conferences or really delve into the abduction research in order to learn more about what's happened with them, you're saying it's possible that they're just the search and the the fellowships they make are, are likely to increase the activity for them? Yes, especially if, you're, if they're targeting you for disruption. But oftentimes these people meet anyway because of their prior connections with one another. I mean, a lot of times they'll find out that they were set up as children and they didn't even know when they were kids and they met up later in life because they all had an interest in in this phenomenon and they all came together later in life. So um, it could be both both things. Um, Would you say it's, um, well, I know part of your uh, thesis has to do with the entities or the draconian the reptilians being able to feed off of the the, the bad drama of an unrequited love affair. Yes. Do most things that are, do you think most couples that are set up in a love bite, do they tend to be successful long term or do they fail? I believe that they, they fail long term. That, you know, unless um, both people are very aware and that they're able to offset the influences and manipulations. Because the truth is, when you have one of these experiences, a lot of times the connection with that person is so profound that you've never felt that way before. And it's really profound. I mean, it, is, it can be true love, like a more powerful love than you've ever felt before. So it's just unfortunate that if one of the other partners is not really aware of what's going on, then they are more susceptible to manipulations. And so they could be switched on and off or turn against you suddenly, you know, after abduction that they don't remember, you know what I'm saying? So mm. this kind of thing happens more often than not, and that's very frustrating <laughs> when people don't remember. You remember, you know? And yeah, you some prove, of them anyway. Right, you can't prove to them because they're, they're still under amnesia. They don't know. But there's group abductions where things take place with many people involved, and there be maybe one or more people who remember what happened in the group and the other group members don't remember but they're still reacting from it on a subconscious level and that that happens more often than not As a matter of fact one of the gals who's in my uh, scavengers of passion who had the abduction with the tall white was abducted with another person i will say within the ufo community i'm not going to say who but oh come on um 
so it's just anyway, me and you here. So this person was very interested, but I that played. person was not did not recall the experience, but definitely had physical after effects that something strange happened and, you know, probably felt the connection, but she was able to remember and be aware of the whole thing. So some people have a greater awareness uh, than the others, and the others, well, they just don't know. They don't realize that what they're reacting to on a subconscious level is the result of a manipulation. So it takes really working on your awareness level to, to know, gosh, you know, is life what, re what we really think it is? You know, these subtle influences, we had no idea that there's all these other interactions going on on a subtle level. It's pretty mind-boggling. <laughs> if you were to talk to someone that, uh, like, say, an individual came to you that says, I think I'm having this thing going on, but they had not yet really gotten with the second person, but they were aware uh -huh. that there was a really weird thing, uh -huh. are you going to encourage them, avoid that person? You're, you're oh, falling no. into a trap? No, you know, I, I don't encourage them to avoid it or think it's going to be a bad thing. I, I encourage them to investigate... Um, you know, their own history, what's going on in their lives, and encourage them to explore and find out, you know, find out about this person, you know, call them up or meet them socially, find out a little bit about them, but don't tell them you think they're involved, but just feel the situation out, you know, and it may or may not be. But I don't you're think not... people should avoid it. I think that, you know, a lot of times, if you do have a really wonderful connection with someone, why not explore that? You know, as long as it's not an infidelity of some sort, but just to be on the lookout that if you are having symptoms of an alien involvement, to to be leery of, you know, what that might entail over the long run, especially if the other person's not aware you are. I mean, if you're really aware of that they're injecting this person, putting you together with them, then, <laughs> you know, be on the lookout. Um, Linda wants to know, um, don't some of these setups work out very well? Some of them do. I've had people report that, you know, they got together with their current husband or wife and everything was fine. And so not everything is bad. It's just that the ones that certain aliens do tend to turn out pretty, I don't know, they're not great. I think yeah, but it's above and beyond regular, like, relationship issues. It really does go above and beyond that. Does it, does it give a, uh, um, <laughs> that's funny, Linda. Um, no, I'm asking as a general person anyway. Well, I think, well, what I was curious about is if you're encouraging people to do it, isn't someone, isn't really easy to say, but aren't they playing right into the alien's hands? You know, I, shouldn't I shouldn't wanna, they avoid it? I don't want to say them for them to do it or not do it. All I really would encourage them is to explore their awareness and what's happening and that, you know, if you never know what's going on with the other person, can't know until you investigate and find out a little bit more about that person. Sometimes that person is aware, you know, and that's one thing that was great about the support groups because we found a way to be open about what we were experiencing because many people within the group were having experiences with others in the group and that, you know, most of the time you just don't really want to say anything. You say, oh, I don't know, they're going to think I'm crazy, but then more often than not when people shared, they found out that others were having joint dreams too. So I think it's really good when other abductees get together and share, even though they're a little bit embarrassed. Um, you may find out you, you know a lot more than you think you do, and people are experiencing a lot more than you think they would be. But That's I interesting, yeah, I was going to say, and I can't remember what it was. Um, that well, time, we're right at the bottom of the hour, which means you've got a couple minutes to mm -hmm. regather the, the thought on that then. Oh, goodness. Well, that sometimes we can meet people in life where we have strong connections, and it may feel like it's divinely arranged. 
And I think that that can happen. It may not have anything to do with aliens. Sometimes if you have a, a past life connection with someone, or it, it really is meant to be, and they are your, you know, soulmate or something, that can happen too. I wouldn't, I wouldn't assume that everything is a love bite. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, just because you happen to be into this field or something like right. that, don't say no to love. Right. Can't, okay. Can't do that. We'll be back in after a couple minutes with Eve Lorgan, the author of The Love by Alien Interference and Human Love Relationships. And you can email me your questions or comments for Eve at talk to me at live from Roswell.com. We've also got a toll free number on the website, by the way. Joe is going to take us out with one more song from Chris Putnam.
Hi, this is Rob Simone, and I'm going to tell you about my brand new show here on the Paranormal Radio Network. Each week, I bring you the most interesting people on the planet, the most in-depth discussions, and the most controversial issues. We go where no talk show dares to go. Join me every week for the Rob Simone Talk Show here on the UFO Paranormal Radio Network. Thank you, Chris Putnam, for the music you just heard. That 30 seconds of song, Alien Resistance, and live from Roswell with Guy Malone. Welcome back. Live from Roswell is sponsored in part by AlienResistance.org, offering biblical perspectives on UFOs and abductions, as well as conference DVDs from Bukus and Bukus of UFO researchers at conferences we've recorded over the years. One of the ones we've never, ever gotten to come down to Roswell, though, is Eve Lorgan. And she is our guest tonight, and it's been a good show. Sounds good. Yeah, talking about her book, The Alien or The Love by Alien Interference and Human Love Relationships. Her site and her book are linked from livefromroswell.com. If you want to pose a question to her, talk to me. Send an email, talk to me at livefromroswell.com. We're in our last 25 minutes of the program. During the break, even I got, got to talking just a little bit about and she used the word narcissist and hybrids and hosts that I just wanted to let her pick up on the discussion she was already having. You just go right ahead and say what was on your mind there. Well, you know, uh, I've been doing some studying. Well, it's not unusual for someone in counseling to, to take many courses and understand what we call the DSM categories of psychopathology and different kinds of things. And one of the things that I've read about is the element of narcissism which is a type of, people think it's like self-love and being in love with yourself, but it really is a, actually a personality disorder of someone who actually is in love with what we call the false self or the, the created false self as opposed to the true self. And the true self is actually, yeah, the true self in a, in a narcissistic personality disorder is, is submerged and very infantile. It is someone who's been so severely injured or they're just not dealing with the real issues that they create like a false persona and then they have may have grandiosity and uh, many different elements of narcissistic personality disorder basically um, it's, it's like evil behavior to be honest with you mm. uh, it's like what Scott Peck describes in his people of the lie um, narcissists will tend to be overly concerned with their image or what other people think of them they use people as an extension of their own gratification um, they will manipulate people, but they don't 
they won't have empathy for others, for example. They may have entitlement issues to think they're, they're superior to others. Um, they may invade others' boundaries. Um, there's many different types of behaviors that narcissists will have. Well, one of the discussions I had been having with others who, who are clairvoyant people who can see, like say if somebody has an attached entity such as a reptilian or a draconian around them, they, and if they observe the behavior over a period of time, um, the behavior of these people is classic narcissism, classic malignant narcissism with the ones who are like malevolent. And that if, if you wanted to detect someone who is, let's say, a draconian or reptilian host, you will probably see a lot of elements of narcissism, narcissistic personality disorder. So anyway, uh, I have been corresponding with other researchers, like my friend James Bartley, and some of the discussions had come around. Not only people, let's say, what we call hosts, the reptilian hosts, or, or some of the hybrid reports where some abductees report that they may have a hybrid alien-human handler of some sort, where this hybrid basically looks human, like just like you and I, but that they are controlled Speak by Speak for yourself. Aliens. Huh? Speak myself? I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not an alien. No, little paint, and I, I look pretty far from human. Little silver paint and some sunglasses. I'm famous yeah. for not looking human. I suppose we, we can dress up and look like them, but uh, anyway, so this was part of the, uh, the discussions we were having and observing. Well, how can you tell if someone's an alien hybrid, or how can you tell if somebody's a host for a reptilian entity? And, and basically, you know, look for symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder, and I mean that with respect to malevolent aliens, and I don't mean that with like the indigo people or the abductees who may think they may have some alien genes, but they're still very human, have been raised as humans in a human environment. We're talking about the alien hybrids that are raised in the alien environment and that are, that are actually controllers for certain abductees. And in these cases, the, the hybrids look completely human that may have other alien characteristics, such as telepathy and the ability to very much um, actually enforce and invade their telepathic thoughts and commands in your mind, for example, and um, things like that, with, with some of the things that people report with the hybrid behavior. So, But with, with these hybrids, they may be very narcissistic in that they're, they're modus operandi is to manipulate this particular abductee for the alien's usage in some way. So if you wanted to recognize, well, gosh, you know, how can you tell? You know, these, these hybrids are supposedly out there among us now, you know, living in apartments and, you know, having jobs and having front businesses now, but they're really hybrids, you know, and they're, this is, this is a lot of the, the, the recent stuff going on now in the alien abduction research. And actually, James Bartley has been working more on that end, but we, we had been doing discussions about, well, how can you really tell, you know, if, if there really are alien-human hybrids walking around, they look just like us, how can you tell <laughs> if it's really an alien or, or a hybrid? So, it, and I, I was just going to say, if it, if it is the malevolent ones who are under greater alien control, you're going to see elements of narcissism, as well as the telepathy and the intrusive thoughts that they can do. I think he spoke a little bit about that. I'm glad you actually mentioned that the second time you mentioned James Barley. You, Barley, you talked about him in the first hour. Uh -huh. I forgot you two knew each other, but... Yeah, well, he doesn't live in San Diego anymore. We we used to know each other because we lived in the same area, but he's now in, in Arizona. Don't but... say where he is. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. All 
Sorry. He told me not to once. Sorry. Sorry about that, James, and all you government types who are listening and want to track down James. <laughs> it doesn't matter. If they, they wanted to track you down, they could anyway. Yeah, matter. just on your debit card, probably. <laughs> but um, the trail-wise, like years ago, it seems like I invited you to come down to Roswell and give a presentation kind of on your book and on reptilians. Yeah. You sort of, I think you fell ill. That's what it yes, was I in was. that I summer. Yeah. And we got Leah Haley to come in. Oh, okay. And she, she lectured during 2004's conference. Ah. But after I started this program, I had her on the program, and she actually recommended to get James Bartley, whom I'd never heard of. Oh, okay. He was a great guest, talking about some about the reptilians, some about the abduction phenomena, and it's in our archives. Yeah. Just look, look through my archives if somebody wants to for the program that has Leah Haley. It's an earlier show of mine. Right now, archives are messed up, so you'll have to find the right date and then go to paranormalradionetwork.org and find the right date on those archives. Anyway, we brought him down to Roswell this uh -huh. year, and it was based on uh, kind of your and Leah Haley's recommendation that even some of the major people that are um, known in ufology that were there were asking me, who is this guy, what's he about, this, that, the other thing, and some of the stuff he said in his lecture it seemed to cause trouble. Another uh, well, very controversial. I mean, well, he's controversial in, in his style, but I would have to say that I, I've learned a lot from him based on his knowledge of, you know, intelligence, military history, counterintelligence, how they train people in the intelligence community, and then looking at how that's paralleled in the alien abduction phenomena with respect to, let's say, how abductees may be controlled by their alien handlers as opposed to, let's say, a CIA handler or know whatever that a lot of times the handlers that some of these abductees have are you know the alien grays are sometimes reptilian and that some of the methods they use for intelligence counterintelligence psyops is, is very similar so it helps one to to see things through that lens as opposed to kind of a starry-eyed you know benevolent ets here to save us and not really looking at you know all the methods of deception that can and are used in this in this phenomena so you, you didn't seem to be speaking fondly of the starry-eyed ETs here to save us view? Well, no. It, not that there may be some benevolent beings. I mean, I definitely believe that there's angelic beings and good beings who are here helping people and helping probably some researchers who are doing good work. I believe that there's angelic beings who are definitely here to help, and there's, there's a, it seems like there's a good guy versus bad guy thing going on on other, other levels. So I couldn't deny that there's good beings out there as well as, you know, harmful ones. Sometimes so when you use the phrase angelic, I'm, I'm really just trying to pin you down to a worldview here. When you say there's angelic beings helpful, are you using it in the more stricter biblical angel view? Or are you saying just an honest extraterrestrial biological entity who is a do-gooder uh, as far as we're concerned? Well, I'm thinking of more of the, the, the real angels, like the real old-fashioned ones that we talk about. And they're definitely real and have interacted and inter interfered, even with a woman in my book whose case that I talked about in Love Bite, where she had an interaction with what she thought was Archangel Michael in one of her experiences, as well as other helpers who came in, in a spiritual warfare situation. And there may be some good, you know, ET species out there who are not in league with what's being reported with the malevolent reports. It's just that I'm not real clear on who they are, and I just I just don't know. But I, I'm not leaving out the possibility that there may be some good ones. But I believe that there's so much deception 
by the ones who are causing problems that it, it, it creates a real difficulty in, in discernment. And like bad, one, bad ones acting good, you mean? Well, yeah, like the masquerade, masquerade of angels, mm. or the masquerading of beings of light when they're not. Oh, it's such a hodgepodge. It's a quagmire, wrapped inside of a riddle, trapped inside a mystery, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I just think by their deeds you shall know them, and you just got to do your best and have good intent and be open and, um, you know, what more can I say? Well, how do you stay sane in all this and sorting it all out and helping people who are coming to you for help? Yeah, that's a good question because (laughs) you you can get pretty uh, just, I don't know what to say. Sometimes it can be very disconcerting because of the ridicule, the harassment, the death threats, the murders, and that kind of thing. And just, just basically the ridicule of, you know, like everyday or normal people in, in your life that you meet and tell them what they do, that you do, and they're like, look at you like you're absolutely nuts, you know. And it, it's hard because, you know, you are ridiculed. Let's put it that way. That, that, that's hard. But when I have other people thanking me from all over the world and different right. parts of the country and people who I've really helped from, you know, serious suffering, that it makes me feel like, oh, my God, at least I've been able to help some people because that's my purpose because I know how hard it is to, to be isolated and have to shut up and, and to be hurting so bad that you wish that you were dead because I know how bad this stuff is because I had alien abductions as a child and as in my adult life. I know how horrible it is. And I know how bad it is to not be able to tell the truth. And when you do tell the truth, God forbid what happens. Because sometimes you are punished for it. And sometimes you get death threats as a researcher. And that's the truth. And so you're hinting that you have gotten yeah. a death threat or two, does it? Well, and it happens subtly, and sometimes it happens overtly, but more often than not, it happens via spiritual warfare interactions where, it's, let's say, <laughs> oh, out of boy. Let's say you go to a conference and you say something you shouldn't have said, and then that night you'll have like a horrible abduction where something just horrific happens and several people that you're with also wake up with bruises and you know missing time or whatever, or you just wake up with a night terror and you don't remember. Or sometimes you get indirect threats through other people or you know different things like that, you know. And it's frustrating, it's, but at the same time, you know, you must be doing some good if, if somebody doesn't want you to talk. Then that means we need to sure. talk more. We need to talk about this so that people who have loving hearts towards humanity, towards each other, can know that we need assistance, we need help, and it's not because of mental illness, it's because the whole human race is at risk. And our lack of knowledge and our lack of awareness is our greatest enemy. And so just turning our head the other way does not solve the problem. I mean, we have to be there for each other and have to allow each other to speak our truth, whatever that is. So that's why support groups are good, you know? Yeah, and it sounds like you were, we were talking earlier, you definitely encourage people to jump in and do research and, and get with the communities yeah. and learn from different points of views, even though you feel it does increase their propensity to have more um, abductions. You know, I believe that if there's more chaos in someone's life, then it will increase that probability of having alien intrusions. But one thing that I've also noticed from being, you know, working in the healing field, let's say you will have a client who is having some pretty heavy-duty alien intrusions, or maybe they're a cult victim, that working with that person can bring on a barrage of unsettling things in your life that may happen on a spiritual level or even overtly. So... That's just one of the things that happens. And uh, 
just to strengthen yourself with your own spiritual work and your own healing and recovery work and try to balance your life out with, you know, having fun, you know, doing something that, that gives you joy and fun in your life and not getting too heavy into the dark stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, you know, it seems like Leah Haley and I had a very similar conversation, like down to your diet, down to your oh, hobbies. Yeah. You, anybody that's either in this field intensively or anybody that's having this experience intensively, things like that really matter, don't they? Yeah, I mean, you really have to be on your toes to be, to be strong because, you know, I guess that's why I took a break for a while and I decided I think I'm just going to, you know, do spiritual practice, meditation and yoga and, you know, kind of get out of this field, you know, people hate me anyway and blah, blah, blah. And, but then more, enough, more often than not, people were still writing me and calling me and asking me for, for help and asking me to talk. And so there's still a need. So I, I'm still, still asking talking. you to do talk shows. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I can't I can't complain. At least, you know, people are still interested. And I think the awareness thing is really important. Just expand your awareness and stay open to just, you know, being very observant to, you know, what, what's happening in your life and cause and effect and, I think the internet is a good thing. I think it's helped us become more aware of so many more things in the world than just the mainstream news and the news reports, that we can become aware of so many more things in, in different countries now. That it's, it's, a, it's a benefit, actually. Cool. So you've more or less taken a personal break from this, you said. I did for a couple of years, actually. And now you're back with a vengeance. Now how, I'm how much back longer with a until... I think I'll write another book, and you know, people are still reporting things, and... I'm finding that the more I work with my own awareness process and what I call my spiritual work and my healing work, that I will attract clients who are also very aware so that what's interesting is when I have clients who've had alien experiences and let's say being set up in relations where they're allowed a conscious awareness and much more aware in their personal life because of their practices, that I get a lot better information, a lot more accurate information. And so you're getting, I'm able to see a larger picture of the modus operandi of these beings and how they work. When you work with clients who are very aware and intent on healing and recovery and spiritual work and a positive intent, so it's those kinds of people who yield very good information. So that's a good thing. How long uh, will it be before we see the book Scavengers of Passion in print? Oh, probably within a year, I would say, because I have, I have a lot to do, a lot more new cases and new theories that I'd like to add with what I've seen with ancient scriptures that help define some of the behaviors that the aliens are doing so that we can see these things. It's, if we're distracted from seeing something that enables us to see connections, that disempowers us. So I'm trying to show that there are connections that we need to see that's not being shown with some of the more um, credible theories. Let's say, I don't know if you can even call this credible, but like the Western scientific view of reality is actually preventing us from seeing the totality of what's happening, and it prevents us from having the awareness, which gives us the power to have what we want in life and to protect ourselves. So sometimes so, our own uh, belief systems, you know, Western scientific thinking or some religious ideologies actually prevents us from the empowerment and the awareness we need to, to get it, to get whatever this is. So, we have so to really you're look probably a John Mack fan, then, aren't you? Huh? You're probably a John Mack fan, aren't well, you? Well, you know, I, I wasn't really. Actually, I'm more of a hardliner in terms of you know, really seeing deception for what it is and how it plays itself out. But at the same time, we don't want to limit ourselves to certain 
ideologies which like limit our ability to see things because we're closed to like one viewpoint. So I'm trying not to be so black and white about it so that I can be open to just seeing the magic trick as it takes place. Because, you know, ufology is just all the you know, the bells and whistles, you know, everybody's looking in the sky for UFOs or they're, you know, looking at the positive thing or the negative thing, but they don't see the magic trick that happens in between the distractions. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's the distractions that are keeping us from seeing the totality of what's really happening or the magic trick. This has been fun. <laughs> yeah. It's been pretty educational for me, too. <laughs> and I'm sure for a lot of people, too. I think we're down to a minute. And i got to give you props for something that we haven't. I'm sort of meant to bring it up early in the interview. When you were describing the love bite scenario, two people being hooked up or engineered, they met on an astral plane or whatever like that. In case nobody else has pointed it out to you, Steven Spielberg so ripped you off on that program taken he did years oh, ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they can, you, you know. <laughs> you told me that he... Uh, well, that someone people, from their thing contacted yeah, you. They're people from DreamWorks because they were doing a couple different productions at the time, and what they were really looking for was someone to talk about personal experiences. And I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to be exploited in that way. I'd rather talk about my research, but they didn't want to go there with it because I think they want to make it what they want to make it. And you know, mm-hmm. but they took the idea they, right from you, didn't they? <laughs> Yeah, or, or, you know, the reports that they're, that they're reading about or seeing in the literature, you know, they can do that. I mean, that's how Hollywood works. I mean, there's, there's so many things, oh, on Smallville, on this most show Smallville and some of these other newer shows, you know that they pick up information from my lab and stuff. I mean, I could see it when I, when I see these shows. I'm thinking, oh, they picked that one up from, from my lab reports, you know, or, or research, and whoever the writers are. They're pretty good, I must say. Well, I didn't know that they were ripping off for small, but I like that show, too. I Maybe that's too. why I like it so much. <laughs> well, we got to go. Uh, we're at the top of yeah. the hour. Thanks very much, folks. Next week, we have Tom Horn and Lynn Marzulli. More information of them is found by scrolling down on livefromroswell.com. On your way down, don't forget to scroll up and, t- and hit the link to go to Eve's website, buy her book, check out our MySpace Artist of the Week, and the cast of the upcoming Star Trek movie, all on livefromroswell.com. Love having you, Eve. We'll do it again sometime, I think. Well, thanks so much, and have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Good night.